If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to look with me at Revelation chapter 12. I know this is not a normal Christmas text that we think of, is it? Um, as Chad and I were planning this series, remember we're thinking about four benefits of Christ's coming. And as Chad and I were thinking about that, um, I just couldn't get this passage out of my head. It's like that sticky booger you can't get off your finger. You remember that analogy? I just couldn't get this out of my head. And so we're going to look at this today. And some of you that, may, that were here a couple years ago might remember we went through the book of Revelation. So it, it may not be totally new for you. But as I had opportunity to study this week and meditate on this text and learn about it, I saw so many new things and learned so many things I had never seen before. And so I hope that you'll enjoy uh, looking at this passage and meditating on it with me for a few minutes. Um, remember, four benefits of Christ's coming. We've talked about restoration. We've talked about hope last week. And this week, we're thinking about this, victory, victory. One of the benefits of Christ's coming is that we have real and substantive and eternal victory. Listen to this. I'm going to read God's word, the whole chapter. You can bank your entire life on this. Listen. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. That's imagery taken from Genesis 37, picturing God's people with arrayed in glory and splendor that um, it's pretty, God's picturing us here with the woman. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth. Uh, sorry, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Hear Old Testament language there from Psalm 2? But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she was placed, where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness, to the place where she has to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. 
The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Would you pray with me? Lord in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to not come here because we want to learn how to be better people or learn how to be nicer. Lord, help us to come here because we want to focus our attention on you and to worship you, knowing that your truth goes deep down into us. It even discerns our thoughts. It even discerns our motives. Your word knows everything about us and pierces to the deepest level of who we are so that we might change, so that we might be more like Christ, so that by the work, by your work, Holy Spirit, we would would see ourselves for who we really are and understand what you have done for us in Jesus. So help us as we look at this passage together to see Christ. And to behold him, Lord Jesus, we want to worship and honor you, not only today, but tomorrow and forever. We pray these things in your name and for your glory. Amen. One of my jobs growing up was to paint uh, an old hospital in the town that I lived in. I had all summer to do it. I had to paint the whole house with about eight of my friends. And each day at the end of the day, uh, I would go on the side of the house and I would clean out the brushes that we used that day. There was a spigot on the side of the house. And so I would go over there and clean out the brushes and get everything ready and, and cleaned up so, it was, so we were ready to go the next day. And on that side of the house where the spigot was, was a side street. And one day as I was cleaning the brushes, this cherry red sports car drove up this side street right beside where I was cleaning the brushes. And let me tell you, I could hear this car coming. It was a brand new sports car and the engine was like, whoa, 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 you know what I'm talking about? And the top was down, it was a convertible, and it was brand new, and I was just gawking at this car. I was just enamored with this vehicle. Now, that's what happened. Now let me tell you what was really happening and what was happening as I was watching. So the guy pulls up on the side street, the stop sign, and I told you that I was cleaning the brushes, right? Well, it just so happened that as I started looking at this vehicle, my hands followed my eyes. So as I was spraying, I was no longer spraying my brush. I was dousing the driver and the inside of his car, his convertible red car with my hose. How about that? The water was just getting everywhere. And he was not happy about it, which was awesome because it meant that he took off as fast as he could and he floored it and his wheels just went and he took off down the road. What, was, what happened is that I was gawking at his car. What was really happening is that I was soaking him down. Now, when we come to look at Revelation 12, we're going to look at two things from Revelation 12. One, we're going to try to see what John sees. And two, we're going to think about so what? Now, how does that relate to the story I just told you in this way? 
When we try to see what John sees in Revelation 12, the first six verses are telling us what happened. Verses 7 through 17 are telling us what is happening and what was happening. It gives us another layer to what was going on with what John was picturing. Make sense? So let's try to see what John sees in Revelation 12. We'll start right off with thinking about the characters. Here's what happened. You have characters laid out in the first six verses. There is a woman, there is a dragon, and there is a child and offspring, later offspring. You see that the woman is pregnant and she is about to give birth. She is in pain and she's ready to get this over with. Ladies, have you been there? Those of you that have had children, you know what it's like when you get to the final days when you're, it's it's, D-Day's almost here and you're not sleeping, you haven't been for a while, you're not feeling good at all and you just want this thing out of you? A woman was ready to give birth. And while she was ready to give birth, while she was having all those pains, we have a dragon. And this dragon is described by multiple heads and uh, uh, jewels and, and diadems. And it's meant to communicate that this dragon is red because it's full of violence. This dragon has uh, multiple heads and, and, and jewels because it is trying to portray that it has power and authority and, and, it has, uh, and it has a bent toward hurting. So the dragon shows up as the woman is about to give birth because what does the dragon want to do? kill the child. See that? What's to kill the child? Hmm. Do you remember a time when that happened in history? It's the season that we're thinking about. There was a woman who wanted to give birth and Satan was working, the dragon was working to try to wipe him out. Do you remember Herod's decree? Do you remember even further than that, that this dragon would even tempt our Jesus in the wilderness? Do you remember that? It is always the plan of the dragon to try to inflict harm and destruction. And then you have, of course, the child, the offspring, was born. And this child was to be a king. He is to rule with a rod of iron. He is to rule in a way that no one else has ever ruled. That the best rulers are just shadows of the real thing, Jesus, the real king. And he's to rule over the whole earth. Well, That's what happens in the first six verses. Now let me tell you what was happening behind the scenes. Let me tell you another layer to the story. Look at verse 7 through 17. You know, even before the birth of Christ, even before that, there was actually a war way back in heaven. God had ordered things and created things, and there were a group of angels that decided that they didn't like God's reign. So they decided that they were going to rebel against God and everything that's holy and all that's good. So there was a great war. And guess what? The dragon didn't win, Satan didn't win. He was kicked out of heaven. This is probably, has to be what Jesus was describing in the gospel accounts when he tells the disciples, hey, I saw Satan fall like lightning out of heaven. Remember that? He was, Jesus was there. He's part of the Trinity. 
He was there when what is unholy tried to come against what is holy. He was there when everything that God was not tried to attack God. God said no. So he was sent down to earth, Satan and his team. And now they are roaming on the earth. Now they're trying to inflict bloodshed, destruction, trying to cause evil to gain progress and further its purposes. But God has preserved the woman. He's preserved his people. Even when they are in exile, even when they are out in wilderness, did you notice verse 6 and verse 14 tell you that even when they're sent out in exile, that God is nourishing his people? Even in exile. How about that? Even in the wilderness, God is providing for us. Even when someone or something is pursuing us. Because when the dragon realized that he couldn't take out Jesus, guess who he's coming for now? Those who follow Jesus. Look at the end of verse 17. Those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Those who are following God's commands. Those who are loving God's people and loving their neighbor. The red dragon wants nothing but death to come upon us. Well, that's what happened, and that's what's been happening, right? Even back before we understand what was recorded in Genesis 1 and 2, way back before Adam and Eve were created, God was there working out all of these things so that we can understand how to look at reality and we can understand evil and darkness and we can understand what's righteous and good and we can understand the coming of Jesus and we can understand who he is and we can understand what Christ has come to do. Well, that's the story of Revelation 12. So let's think about the so what. What difference does this make in my life? How does this help me this week? What, in the, what does this mean? So what? Well, I got three things for you. The first one is this. We need to do some real talk. Real talk. Meaning, listen to this. Pay attention to this, please. I want you to understand that Revelation, the book of Revelation is not written in, it's not written in a way that, John's not laying things out sequentially. Doesn't that make sense when you read this chapter? He's talking about things that happened way before the coming of Christ. He's talking about things that happened in heaven even before Adam and Eve were created. John is not writing the book of Revelation to lay out sequentially what events are going to take place and then we will be in the last days. Remember this, friends? The New Testament tells us that we've been living in the last days for 2,000 years. The coming of Christ started the last days. So if you've ever read the book of Revelation and thought that it lays out things in sequential order, that's not the way John writes this at all. The question is not, not, not what comes next, but what does John see next? Everything in the book, John wants us to see, behold, look, think about. Remember, Revelation is not a code book. It's a picture book. It's written like an it's. It's laid out like an impressionist painting where you're supposed to get these images in your mind and then let those images fire up your imagination. 
of what you know is true because of everything else that the Bible says. So please, real talk. John doesn't write this sequentially. He writes it to lay out everything that God says in the entire Bible to show you in images that it's true. He even gives us insight into what went on before Adam and Eve were around into what was going on in heaven as God was creating and setting up the world. Well, that means this, another part of real talk. When you go back and read this and think about the red dragon, oh, let's just talk about this for a second. Isn't it amazing that when you open the, to the book of Genesis, you find that there's this serpent that teases, excuse me, tempts Adam and Eve, remember that? Well, the, that little serpent in uh, Genesis 3 has now gotten fat and he's now this great big red dragon. Get it? Get the imagery? He's grown because he's been deceiving more people and tempting more people. He's still no match for God. That means that he is the one who is behind everything that is in opposition to God. He's behind it all. He's against everything that is beautiful, everything that is holy, everything that is true. He's against it all. He's behind it all. And here's the other thing that I really want you to think about. Real talk. Look at verse 12. He knows his time is short. See that? Now please think about this. Do you know that? Do you know that his time is short? Do you, do you live as if his time is short? Or are you constantly looking at the world and looking what's going on in your life and looking at everything and trying to pick out where you think he is moving and operating? Are you preoccupied with where you see evil and darkness happening in the world because you're terrified of it? Because you think, oh, well, this is gonna happen here. Look at him doing this here and... If that's the way you're living, let me just suggest to you that you are distracted. He knows his time is short. But oftentimes we like to live as if, oh no, I gotta keep a watch on him. I gotta keep a watch on evil. I gotta keep a watch on darkness. I gotta keep a, gotta keep a watch on uh, where things are changing. That we can be so preoccupied with that that we're living as if he has all kinds of power. And we live as if there's a chance that he's going to overthrow goodness or overthrow God or overthrow God's kingdom. Are you living cognizant of the reality that his time is short? That he knows he is limited? He knows that he cannot win? Beloved, live in the victory of what Christ has accomplished. Yes, you're going to see evil make progress in the world. Duh. Yes, you're going to see things change. Duh. Yes, you're going to see this country rise and fall. It may even be our own. Duh. Don't be preoccupied with where you think you see him working. Be preoccupied with God and the reality of Christ and the truth that Jesus has won. Death didn't, couldn't even hold him. 
in this time of year, I hope that you get recharged and renovated to think about the goodness of God and the power of God and the beauty of God and the coming of Jesus and all that he accomplished so that you can live a life proactively, positively, living for the glory of God and loving his kingdom and pursuing him and building his church and planning churches and being a healthy part of his kingdom. Don't be distracted by where you think you see the enemy moving. He's got no chance. He's done and he knows it. May God help each of us to live as if we believe that too. Encourage me. When you see me getting down, thinking about what this is going wrong and this is going bad, you feel free to encourage me. Dave, Jesus is on the throne. God's in control. Evil is real. Never ever gets the last word. Help me believe that too, would you? Please. That's real talk. Now let's go into second. Here's the second takeaway. And this is going to be a little more complicated and difficult and personal. When you read this chapter and think about all this imagery and what's going on and, and that Satan himself is behind all the opposition and what's good and beautiful and true, this chapter really makes us feel defeat. Let me try to make sense of that. Let me try to show that from the text. The second takeaway is feeling defeated, right? You know, the tactics of our enemy are deceit. He loves to deceive. He even says in the text that he has tried to deceive the whole world. Remember that? But we also learn something very specific about our enemy in this chapter, and that's this. I think it's around verse 10, that he is the great accuser. Now, see, this is where we're going to start feeling defeat. I know I have in my life, and perhaps you have too. Let's try to push into that. Your enemy loves to bring accusations against you, even before the throne of God, to accuse you, to accuse me, day and night. How does he do that? Well, what he does is he takes the identity that we have been given through Jesus. Remember, we trust in Jesus' resume, not our own, so that his righteousness becomes ours and he takes our sin. Remember, his perfect life is the life that each of us should have lived, but we didn't. And his death was in place for people like you and me. He died in our place. And by dying in our place, he absorbed in his own being, a real human being, he absorbed the wrath of God that's holy and perfect and just so that by receiving Christ and who he is, we get his identity and God looks upon us as forgiven and righteous and he can do that, not just showing mercy, but also by being, so he, can, he can announce to the world that he's been perfectly just with us. So he didn't just overlook sin, no, he dealt with it. And through Jesus, we get a brand new identity where it means that we can admit that we're wrong, 
And it means that we can live into the righteousness of Christ. We can put on Christ so that our lives end up looking a lot like repenting and believing for as long as we live. Because all that is by grace. We don't earn anything with God. We don't add to what Jesus has done. We simply receive all that he is. And that's grace. That's by grace, right? You get this, right? You've heard this, I hope, a thousand times. But what your accuser does is say, but look at Dave, God. You said that he's forgiven and you said that he's righteous, but look at the way that he's living. He's so inconsistent. He's not doing what you tell him to do. He's not acting like he loves his neighbor. Don't you see how he's still selfish and got a selfish streak inside of him? Don't you see the pride that is still within Dave's life? Because a lot of other people do. (laughs) Don't you see how he's not always the best to work with? Ask Chad, he'll tell you. (laughs) Our, Our enemy accuses us all the time by saying, Lord, this is what you say about this guy, this is what you say about this woman, and yet here's their life. Does that ever take a hold of your life? That, you, ever, you ever feel accused? You ever look in the mirror and think, you know, Lord, I know that you said this, but why do I struggle so much with this? Does that happen to you? There's a singer-songwriter from Kentucky named Morgan Wade. And she wrote this song, and there's a line, a bunch of lines, but there's one line in it that was so powerful to me. It's something like this. My mind likes to talk about everything I'm not, and even worse, everything I am. What does that look like in your life? You didn't live up to what your mom wanted? You haven't lived up to what your dad wanted? Can never be enough for your coworker, never be enough for your boss, never be enough for your parents, never be enough for your friends, never be enough for yourself? You just keep beating yourself up because you're not what you think you should be and your standard of perfection and what you think is the ideal person and the ideal way to live? Those accusations ever come in your life? You had perfect parents. And they just did it right. And you don't struggle at all. You know what it's like to feel those accusations. Where someone's saying you're something that you're, you're claiming something that you're not. You ever had that? weight on you? You know what it feels like to feel defeated? You know the feeling of defeat? Because that's what your enemy wants. That's what he's doing. He's accusing. I'll go deeper. I'll tell you a little sliver of my life. When I was in kindergarten, my kindergarten teacher told me I was retarded in front of the class. Made fun of me because we had a, a, a craft that we were doing, and I didn't do it right. And she held it up in front of the class and said, doesn't this look retarded? Dave did this. Sidebar, Woo! my mom was mad. 
I remember that, and I was five, okay? Fast forward, eighth and ninth grade, not, not good years for me, not good years for me. Bullied, picked on, moved to a new location. I was an outsider, didn't belong, mm, and all that comes with it. Eighth, ninth grade, horrible years for Dave. Get into college, had some professors that failed me for some very unusual and strange reasons. Happy to talk to you about that more if you'd like to know more details. Went to seminary, had a professor who uh, in grad school, um, outside of one test, and I had him for multiple classes, outside of that one test, everything I turned into him, exams, papers, whatever it was, he returned every single one back to me and said in some form or another, if this is the best that you can articulate yourself, I don't think you should go into the ministry. Do you know, what, what about you? What's it like for you to feel those accusations and feel defeated? You been there? Because it's hard, isn't it? You know what it's like to feel defeated. And when I say, what about you? Just know that your enemy works two angles here. I just told you one, because I was telling you about my own experience. But you see, the enemy loves to keep those accusations on you and, or, maybe you haven't had a real difficult life. Maybe as you look back through your life, you really didn't have a lot of people who were saying things about you that weren't true. Maybe you had a really relatively easy life and easy way of living. And what's underneath that, that your enemy loves to accuse you, he accuses you in this way. You deserve this. You've got it all on your own. And if you've lived a relatively easy life, then deep down there may be a really strong chance that you aren't quite aware of it yet, but maybe by God's grace you will become aware of it, that you think you deserve everything you have. Because deep down, your enemy has said, you've done good job on this stuff. You're smart. You know how to work with people. You're really good at getting things done. You're task-oriented. You've gotten all these things done and everything that you have in your life, you deserve. You see, the enemy works both ways. Either by telling you things that you're not or by encouraging you that all that you have comes from you. That's why you hold so tightly to it. That's why you're so defensive. That's why it's easy for you to look down on others. Because deep down in your core, you're living a life in which you have accomplished it all. No matter how friendly you can be on the outside or how gracious you can be on the outside or how you have trained yourself not to talk about all of your accomplishments, the dial of your heart is set on self. That's why you can't let anything go. 
why you always have to defend. It's why you cling so tightly and hold tightly to what you have. Well, you feel defeated? Well, here's the third takeaway. The rest of victory. The rest of victory. You know, this chapter not only gives us a cosmic glimpse of the coming of Christ and even further back in history to an ancient war that was going on between good and evil, where good won. It not only gives us that cosmic glimpse of all of history to confirm that victory is sure, that victory has happened, it also tells us how to overcome these accusations. Look at verse 11. What does it say? We overcome through the blood. See that? When you go back and read this chapter, it not only tells us of the birth of Christ in Christmas morning, but we get the birth of Christ and we also get the betrayal. We also get Good Friday. We also get Easter Sunday with the joy of Easter Sunday. How do we know that? Twice in this chapter, it says that the son was born and was caught up to God and the throne. Get it? Not only does it tell us about the birth, but the only way Jesus gets back to God and the throne is through Good Friday and Easter Sunday. The way that you overcome the accusations in your life and the way that I fight against mine is through Jesus and the identity that he gives us. Which means by having all that Christ is for me, I can fight against the accusations. I can have confidence that I am not what others have said. And it also gives me confidence and humility to loosen my grip on what I hold to so tightly that I think I have earned and that I think I deserve. The only way that happens is through Jesus and what he has done for us in his life and in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension and in his present rule now as king. And you see, friends, all of that is by grace. All of that is given to us. It's why we have to receive Jesus and it's why we have to continue to live into Christ and what he is. And that, my friends, is what brings us to the table.